Acts 10. And that will be on page 975 in your pew Bible. 975. Again, that's Acts chapter 10, starting with verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house and gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day. An angel of God coming in to him and saying unto him, Cornelius, and when he looked, On him he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up as uh, for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel... Uh, which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a servant and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest this morning, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you this morning. We do want to wish each one of you a happy Memorial Day weekend as we think about uh, the wonderful things that we enjoy as a nation. We think about our freedom, and we think about the, the much of the heritage that's gone before us of individuals that have been willing to serve and sacrifice for us to be able to stand where we are today. In a few minutes, we'll think about some things like that. It is good to see the Duke family here and all together. Uh, I understand that they are celebrating Christmas uh, this weekend, and uh, so many prayers have been offered on behalf of Hannah and all of the family for several months now. And it really is an answer to prayers and just a lot of joy experience to look and see a a pew just packed full of family. And uh, we love you guys and we're thankful that you're doing better. And we look forward to seeing the ways that God uh, will continue to use this wonderful family. It's just hard to imagine uh, two young people, Chet and Hannah, that can come in and make an impact any greater and any quicker in the life of a youth group as these two have done, and no doubt they have a good family that surrounds them. We also, I'd like for David and Tara Weigel, if you would, to stand up. I believe you're in the audience this morning. Uh, Thank you. You can be seated. We rejoice with them this morning. Uh, They were baptized last Sunday, and uh, we rejoice in the decision that they made to do that, and we look forward to serving God and worshiping together for a long time. We look forward to seeing the way God will use them What a wonderful thing it is to see individuals that make a commitment for life to God. You also notice out in the foyer the uh, blue sheets that are longer legal length sheets, and it tells about our Summer Faith series. 
Our Summer Faith series will begin not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday. So be sure that you make your plans to be a part of that. The topics are laid out to be topics that would be appealing to your neighbors, to people around you. It goes in along with a the theme of reaching out to our community throughout the year and especially this summer. And so even as we go door to door, we will be mentioning our Summer Faith series and be inviting individuals as we go on our door knocking campaign. So be sure and take those and go ahead and be inviting people and uh, be mindful of the ways that you can help make that the success that God would want it to be. Memorials. We before last had the opportunity to be in Vicksburg, Mississippi. And while there, I rode through the National Military Park that is a 16-mile loop that has over 1,300 monuments and memorials to remind us as a nation of what we went through during the Civil War. As, we rode, as I rode through this area, I was informed and reminded of some of the things that I'd forgotten about how important Vicksburg was in the battle of the Civil War. As a matter of fact, this town that at that time lay on the Mississippi River, I'd like for you to listen to the words here of Abraham Lincoln or read along if you can see the screen. This is how vital this town was. It says, see what a lot of land these fellows hold, of which Vicksburg is the key. The war can never be brought to a close until the key is in our pocket. We can take all the northern ports of the Confederacy and they can defice from Vicksburg. Lincoln assured his listeners that I am acquainted with the region and I know what I'm talking about. And as valuable as New Orleans will be to us, Vicksburg will be more so. You see, Vicksburg, at that time, it, it was positioned in the horseshoe of the Mississippi River. And so they had a perfect defense there by just geographically to defend themselves from every boat that would pass through. The North knew that they must secure Vicksburg. And finally, when Vicksburg was secured after a 47-day siege, they, the North, had control of the Mississippi River. As we rode through, we stopped at one particular memorial. It was the Illinois monument that has been built, or memorial that's been built. As we walked up the 47 steps, each step representing a day in the siege of Vicksburg, we walked inside, and there were bronze placards all the way around this memorial. Upon those were names of the hundreds and thousands of men who lost their life in the Civil War. In 2007, Colton and I were able to go to Washington, D.C. And there we were able to visit the National World War II Memorial. It lies between the Washington Monument and the Lincoln Memorial there in the National Mall. It was only built in 2004. There are many things that stand out about this memorial but one is the very fact that there's gold stars. As a matter of fact, they seem to be everywhere. There's over 4,000 gold stars. Every star is represented, gives memorial to 100 soldiers that lost their lives in World War II or 100 military personnel. You see, the U.S. casualties were over 400,000 in World War II alone. I've just shared with you a few 
of the many monuments and memorials that are erected around the world for individuals to remember. It is important for us as people to remember. God reminds us in His Word that He has erected various memorials throughout time for people to remember. You remember the Passover was a memorial for people to remember their freedom that God gave them under the children of Israel's days. We have just participated in the Lord's Supper, that is a memorial that Jesus Christ gave us. And after each, the bread and the fruit of the vine, He said, remember, this do in remembrance of me. But for the rest of our time this morning, I'd like for you to think with me of a very important question. Who is it that God would remember? Can you remember living a life so that God would say, Ah, oh, I want to do well toward them. I remember them. Look with me, if you will, to that great character in the New Testament named Cornelius. As a matter of fact, I would go and, and even go so far as to argue that Cornelius is probably one of the greatest individuals of the New Testament who receives very little recognition. You know, a lot of the time when you mention Cornelius' name, somebody has to say, Oh, oh yeah, yes, I remember Cornelius. When the truth is, what we read of Cornelius, although it's brief, it's absolutely an amazing compliment that's given to him. I'd like for you to notice first as we read about Cornelius in the fourth verse of the 10th chapter. And then we will skip down and, and read a little bit deeper in uh, verse 31, a very similar thing. But just notice here about how God remembered him. He has just seen a, the vision, an angel of the Lord has appeared to him. And in verse 4, it says, And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Isn't that interesting? His prayers and his alms have come up as a memorial before God. God says, there's some things that I look at that people do, and those very things that they do are memorials to me. Skip down, if you will, and read verse 31. This is what he told Peter whenever Peter came to him. He's rehearsing this in 31, and Cornelius and he said, Cornelius, your prayers, this is what Peter is saying to him, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. What a beautiful thought. Friends, this morning, I'd like for us to just take a few minutes and just do a basic study of the first couple of verses of Acts the 10th chapter. Tonight we'll come back and we'll look at a more broader text of Acts the 10th chapter. But as we think about this, just to make sure we're kind of on the same page of where we are, and then we'll get right back into this lesson to appreciate a man who his life had came before God as a memorial. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. But as we consider this, I'd like for you to think about where this story falls within the scroll of Acts. If we were to look at this 25-foot-long scroll and we were to say, okay, here we are traveling through this book, what is the 10th chapter? The 10th chapter is another time where God gives Peter the key. Peter pulls that key out of his pocket and he unlocks something very special. Do you remember in Matthew, the 16th chapter, in beginning verse 18, where Jesus told him, Upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then he said, And I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bound on earth be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth be loose in heaven. What did he mean when he said, I'll give you the keys? Well, we know when we go to Acts, the second chapter, keys give access, and it was Peter who gave access to the people so that they could know what they needed to do to be saved, 
to be added to the kingdom of heaven. On earth, the kingdom of heaven is the church. And so they cried out in verse 37, and this would be in a Jewish crowd. They cried out, what shall we do? And they were told what they must do so that they could have entrance into the kingdom of heaven. And they repented and they were baptized. And in verse 41, those who gladly received the word were added. Now, you remember that in Acts 1, they were told that they were to take the gospel and it would begin in Jerusalem and Judea and then throughout Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. We know that the great commission that the Lord gave before He ascended up into heaven was to go and make disciples of all nations. And so we look at that and say, surely the apostles realized that the gospel of Jesus Christ was also for the Jews. Well... You see, by this time, there would have been Jews scattered in almost every nation on earth. And what it appears is that it appears that they had understood that to mean you're going to take the gospel to the Jews who are in all the nations under the earth. Now, if a Gentile wants to come, they can be a proselyte. They can be circumcised. They can be identified as a Jewish population into the Jewish population, and then they can be baptized into Jesus Christ. Tonight we'll go back and we'll look at some of that a little more fully. But I want you to see the story, where we are in the book of Acts. It is one of the great, great chapters in the book of Acts. Not just as we break down chapters in, in, as we read the book, but I'm saying the chapters of the church's history. This is one of the great chapters of the church's history. Now, as we go back and we look again at the first verse and we say, who is this man that literally his life was a memorial to God? The first thing we see in verse 1 is that he was a soldier. Notice he was a man in Caesarea, which is interesting because, you know, that's where Philip spent most of his life. So it's neat to think that this man may have very well become an elder in the church and worked along with Philip as he preached there in Caesarea. But notice his name is Cornelius, and he was a centurion, and he served with a group called the Italian Regiment. Now, what do we know about centurions? We know that he was a soldier. A centurion was a man who was over 100 soldiers, hence the name centurion. Now, the cohort or the regiment that he would have been a part of would have been made up of six centurions, armies. In other words, the regiment would have been 6,000 men. Now, if you put 10 of those regiments together, you would have had a Roman legion, which would have been 6,000 soldiers serving in one legion. And so now we look back here and we say, well, who was this man? He was a man that would have had a very important role and a lot of influence in his community to be a man who was a commander over a hundred men. And what's interesting is that with his influence, he was a man that still was seeking God. And it's wonderful to see later on how this influence unfolded. I need to note this for what it's worth. There seems to be favorable light shed upon centurions. And keep in mind, they were from the Roman Empire, working for the Roman government. But there seems to be positive light shed on centurions many times in the Scriptures. As a matter of fact, we read 10 or 12 different centurions in the New Testament, and almost every one of them, there's something favorable or positive that comes out of the mentioning of their name. It makes us wonder what it was about those individuals that their character was such. 
One scholar says that he believed that while Rome was really going the wrong way as a civilization, that it was the old school soldiers that were the ones that were holding on to some things of worth, some values that were perhaps one time within the Roman Empire that were soon being lost. But whatever it was, we note this, that everything that is said in Acts the 10th and the 11th chapter, this man... Nothing is said or implied that he should cease being a soldier because he became a Christian. Also, with every other centurion that is mentioned, we never read of such. So we read of a man who is already serving in a very honorable position in his society. And this man is being reached with a wonderful gospel. He has a hunger. But what is it that serves as a memorial about his life that came up before God. Look, if you will, in verse 2 and see that very first phrase, a devout man. When you think about the word devout, it has to do with reverent. He lived a life where he viewed God, and in this, he lived a reverent life toward God. It's also pious. It, it, is, it, it deals with, with being, uh, we today probably sometimes substitute the word devout for serious. How many times have you seen someone say they are really serious about their relationship with God? They're serious about their faith? This morning, if I said to you, I'd like for you to meet so-and-so, they're very devout, what, what would you think? If I said, here's an individual that is truly devoted in the faith, what would you think about them? Well, you wouldn't think that there's someone who is religious but then goes home and lives a different life You'd never describe that as devout. You'd describe that as hypocritical. You'd never think, well, this is someone that lives a righteous life around other Christians, but when they go to work, they lack integrity or they're immoral. Well, you would never describe that as devout. So think about it. Here is in God's holy writing, here is God describing this man through the writer Luke. And God describes this man and says, here is a man who is devout. You know, I think back one time of a story that uh, a preacher told me about his home church. And he said they were talking about a man being an elder. And a grown child of this man, as one person was praising this elder, the grown child replied and said, Oh, trust me, you don't know what he's like at home. In other words, others in the congregation were esteeming him as being devout. And those that knew the way he lived behind the scenes said, he's anything but devout. Who is Cornelius? Who is the man that his life and what he did would be raised before God and it would serve as a memorial so God would say, I'm going to remember that man. He was a soldier, but he lived a life that was devout to God. But notice, we get an insight to what made this man devout. Notice that next phrase. A devout man and one who feared God with all of his household. Fear of God. I think about the woman one day in, in a Bible class. This is a true story. And, and this woman, you know, you would just think she was the most faithful lady in the world. She had been a part of the church for for decades, and, uh, and we were reading through a text, and, 
And fear of God came up a few times in the text. And she raised her hand in the Bible class and she said, I would like it if we could use a different word. I don't like to think about my relationship with God and use the word fear. And the teacher of the class looked down his Bible and he said, well, I'm not comfortable changing the Bible. You know, I wonder how many of us, we struggle with being devoted, but maybe the reason we struggle with being devoted is because we don't like the thought of fearing God. I want a buddy. I don't want a God. I want a best friend. I don't want an almighty. I want somebody that, you know, when he says, hey, you ought to do this, I say, hey, thanks, buddy, that's a good suggestion, but I'll do it my way. Friends, who do you serve? Do you serve a buddy or do you serve the almighty God that says in Romans 11th chapter, verse 22, hey, if you're really going to know me, you need to know the goodness and the severity of me. Do we know the God? The God that will very comfortably say, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Look with me, if you will, to Psalm 33. Psalm 33 is a very beautiful psalm about the sovereignty of God. And if, if time permitted, we could look at all 33 verses and we could study this one topic that we're studying right now. Since time will not permit that, I'd like to take your eyes to just two different sections of this beautiful psalm where the psalmist is showing us two things. He's showing us how he is devoted to this God that he writes about. But then also he shows us how he fears this God that he is devoted to. And what I would challenge our thinking this morning from the scriptures is I would challenge us to realize that maybe if we're struggling in being devoted to God as we should be, it might be because we don't really fear God for who he really is. And so when we look at the 33rd chapter of Psalm, notice verse 8. Let all of the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. Who is really going to appreciate God? Who is really going to stand in awe of God and say, God, you are so marvelous, I'm willing to to devote my whole life to you. It won't happen unless we truly understand who He is. And when we understand who He is, we understand His goodness and his severity. Notice as we skip down to verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death, to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in His holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us, just as we hope in you. Friends, listen to these beautiful words. Words like trust in Him. He'll be our help and our shield. We will wait upon Him. He will deliver our soul from death. But this paragraph that speaks of all of those things first opens opens with the line that says, The eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him. Friends, as we make our way back now to Acts the 10th chapter, 
we think about this man, Cornelius. His life came up to God as a memorial. A soldier who was devout, no doubt devout because he feared God, but notice the influence he had. He feared God and all of his household with him. You see, his life was touching the lives of others and causing them to also fear God and to find that same kind of devotion. But now as we consider the actions, in other words, what will this provoke? Someone who is really devoted, someone who truly fears God, what will this provoke? Look at the rest of verse 2. A devout man and one who feared God with all of his household who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. You see two parts? What happens when somebody is totally, totally devoted because they really do fear God? They're going to act one way on the horizon and it's going to also cause them to act a certain way vertically. Well, what is the horizon? Notice it's to the people. What are they going to do to God? Well, to the people he's going to give. But notice, we could say, now how different would this scenario be from what we've just read? What if we read a scenario that said there was a Roman centurion who really made a turnaround last week. And in that turnaround, they gave a gift to people who were in need. And they also prayed. What's the difference? The difference is tremendous here. Because you see, what is described here is not just a spark in a frying pan. What's described here is a man that he did not just give, he gave generously. In other words, it's describing a man that that is his character. That's what they've seen him do over and over is give generously. But then also think about his prayer. It didn't just say that he prayed, it said that he prayed to God always. Here is a man that because of his devotion, he's generously considering others' needs and he is consistently praying to God. Now, isn't it interesting that here's a man who who generously is giving his alms deeds to help other people and he fulfills Matthew the 6th chapter and verse 1 because you remember that in Matthew the 6th chapter and verse 1, we're told of the fact that take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, what did this man do? He did his charitable deeds, and apparently he didn't do it to be seen by men at all. Notice it's God here that's given this report. I want to tell you what his memorial is. The charitable deeds he, he has done, they've come up before me, and I'm going to remember him. Now, what did God say in Matthew the 6th chapter and verse 1? He says, you can go out and do your charitable deeds, and if you're doing it because you want to be seen by men, just know that's where your reward stops. Oh, you mean if I give X number of dollars, you'll put my name on that building? Wow, I'd like for everybody to see my name on a building. I tell you what, I'll do it. Let me write a check. Now, where's the reward? God tells us. The reward stopped right there on earth. There will not be any reward from God when we do our giving to be seen by men. Now, what did this man do? He gave generously, and where was his reward? God in heaven said, I remember this man. I'm going to send someone to him. He's hungry to learn more. I want this Gentile to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
You remember that Jesus stood and he watched the treasury and he watched what was putting in and there were some that put in much. And then there was a widow that came by and put in two mites. And remember Jesus used this as a teaching opportunity and he invited the disciples to come over closer to him and he explained what he had just seen. But in this explanation, he said that the woman gave the most. What do we see in these stories? What's similar in all this? God never takes his eyes off of what you and I do with our possessions. What we do with our possessions will come up as memorial to God that he'll be very well pleased with or he'll be very disappointed. I know that there are a lot of folks in this congregation who have quietly given much to help individuals who have less right now because of difficulties in losing jobs. I want to encourage you to continue to have eyes, no matter what our economy does or doesn't do. Let's make a vow and a commitment to our God today that we will always have eyes that are open to see the needs of those that are hurting and we will never be people that has to have an organized campaign for us to give to someone that's hurting. We'll never be people that has to have someone to come and ask us to give to people that are hurting, but that we will be people that will always give generously to others so that our life will be held up by God. Friends, if God doesn't remember us and the good that we've done, anything we've tried to do has been totally wasted. But then finally this morning, notice this. It wasn't only the way he treated other people, but it was the way that he humbly approached God, and that was praying to God always. You see, he was a man that prayed. When we think of prayer, what is prayer? If in your mind prayer is just bowing your head and, and saying something to God, perhaps you're shallow in your understanding of prayer. Prayer is the beginning from a humble heart that says, I need God. How much did this man pray? Always. What were we taught? 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. Do you remember the judge that was an ungodly man and, and the widow that was being treated unjustly? And remember, she went up to this ungodly judge and she made the plea, please, please, do something to my adversary that I can receive some kind of relief. The judge wouldn't hear it. The woman came back and asked over and over and over. And finally, the judge did something about this. And when that prayer when that parable was taught, Jesus was teaching that parable to say, now you think if an unrighteous judge would answer because someone asked over and over, what would the Almighty God do in His justice and righteousness? As a matter of fact, I just want to read you the beginning verse that introduces that parable I just told you. It's the 18th chapter of Luke and it's verse 1. It says, He spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Lord, what are you going to teach us in this parable? You ought to always pray. Lord, here is a man that you say that his life came up as a memorial before you. What is it that you recognize? Oh, I recognize the way he didn't live inwardly. He constantly looked out of how he could help others, and he constantly prayed to me. You see, that the key to both of those is humility. 
esteem others greater than yourself and realize that we can't make it without God unless we exalt God in our life and humble ourselves in the sight of God we can't ever be what God wants us to be friends I'm not suggesting to you that what we've just studied is the totality of Christianity but it is interesting sometimes how we probably complicate things so much when here in just a few words we can say God what is it that you want us to know that stands out about Cornelius that his life would serve as a memorial he would say he's in an honorable profession he was a soldier he was devout he lived it why because he truly feared God what kind of actions did that provoke it caused him to look at other people with open eyes to see their needs and what he could do to help them and it caused him to constantly go to his knees and pray to the Father in heaven. Friends, on this great Memorial Day weekend, where as a nation we have so much to be thankful for and so much to remember, let's make sure that we also think about our life as a memorial before God. What is it that God will remember about our life? Now listen, there's not anybody here that's going to work their way into heaven. We're not talking about that you've got to do X number of deeds and you've got to give X number of dollars and you've got to pray X number of prayers. We're talking about a heart here that is humble, that says, I fear God, I'm totally devoted to Him, I see the needs of others, and I'm constantly in need of God, and that's why I pray. Does that describe your life? I know it describes a lot of people in this congregation. We're blessed with a lot of godly folks around us. But let it serve as a reminder to all of us really what our purpose is on this earth. Psalms, the 8th chapter, a beautiful psalm of praise. It says, what is man that thou art mindful of him? God has remembered man, and he gave his son on the cross. Why? Because he remembers you. He remembers me. He knows that we need a Savior. Have you been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins because you're a believer willing to repent and confess before men? If not, why not remember what the Lord asks of you today? Remember God as your creator. Maybe you have been baptized into Christ and somewhere along the way you've lost the way and you need to come back this morning. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing. Sinners, Jesus.